truth are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Our first reading this morning is from Isaiah, chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. It can be found on page 111 of your pew Bibles. Please listen for the word of the Lord. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it in the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the Lord of the Lord. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hand, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come, he will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lamp like then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool for thirsty brown bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And the highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in the way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransom of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. <coughs> Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Our second reading, the epistle reading, is from James 5, 7 through 10, to be found on page 1885. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its variable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of Lord. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. You can find this on page 1512 of the Pew Bible. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, 
Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. In the classic story, A Christmas Carol, miserly old Ebenezer Scrooge is a terrible, greedy person. He is completely devoid of joy and happiness to the point where he doesn't even see the purpose of Christmas celebration. Bah humbug, he yells at those who dare to wish him a Merry Christmas. He cannot fathom why the poor and the less fortunate around him dare to be happy in their dire circumstances. How can they find joy in a world that treats them so terribly? Why are they happy with what they have instead of working harder and saving more and being greedy and rich like him? When his nephew wishes him a Merry Christmas on Christmas Eve, he scolds him. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. When he is asked by some do-gooders for donations to help feed the poor at Christmas, the following conversation takes place. Are there no prisons? asked Scrooge. Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman, laying down the pen again. And the union workhouses, demanded Scrooge. Are they still in operation? They are still, returned the gentleman. I wish I could say they were not. Scrooge then refuses, giving any donation, saying the following. I don't make myself merry at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. And with that, he shoes the do-gooders out the door without so much as a penny in donation. Later that night, he is visited by four ghosts. First, the ghost of his dead partner, Jacob Marley, visits him to warn him that his lack of joy has sent him into a dry and terrible place. Not the actual desert like we hear about in Isaiah, but a spiritual and emotional desert. He is a sad, bitter, lonely old man because he has shut everyone out by being a miserable, nasty person to be around and by ignoring the plight of those around him. Marley says that in order to help show him joy in the world around him, three more spirits will visit him that night. And that night, 
Christmas Eve, remember? Scrooge is visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. Through the things that are revealed by them about his past, the circumstances of others living around him in the present, and the ramifications his actions will have on his future, Scrooge makes a great discovery. Happiness about circumstances and joy in life are very different. There is something deeper about a celebration based in joy than one based merely on happiness. And there is something important about finding joy, even in the unhappiest of circumstances. By the end of the tale, Scrooge has found so much joy in the desert of his life that he is wishing aloud Merry Christmas to everyone around him. Very few people outside that fictional world have the nerve to actually and out loud poo-poo those who find great happiness this time of year. But there are many of us who struggle to find the joy of the season, much like Scrooge did. When we're surrounded by happy songs and jingle bells all over the place, it can be hard to celebrate if we are in a desert of our own. Sometimes these deserts are self-inflicted, like Scrooge's. Sometimes they are deserts that aren't of our own making. Either way, if we're in a hard place, or a sad place, or a confusing place, or in a lonely place, perhaps even in a curmudgeonly place, like our dear old friend Ebenezer, it makes it hard to see any reason to celebrate life at all. Isaiah offers words about what happens when God gets a hold of the desert. We read many passages during Advent that came out of Israel's exile, which was literally and figuratively a desert for them. One of the great things about growing up in Kansas is that while there is rarely much of anything at all happening there, you're only a day or two drive from just about everywhere else in the country. So from a young age, I've had the privilege of seeing most of our country from end to end and top to bottom. And some of my favorite places in our country, and indeed in the world, are desert. The desert is haunting, but it has a special beauty that nothing else can touch. At first glance, it can look like there is no life there at all. And you don't want to get stranded there because the desert can be deadly when you're alone. It's no wonder that there are times in life that are easily compared to the desert. There are these times that just feel and look barren. There are times in life that feel like we're going to wither up and die because we have been left alone. But here in Isaiah, we see that the desert does have life in it. Even in the wilderness, there are flowers that bloom outrageously and flamboyantly for no apparent reason. There are creatures that scuttle about under the ground and in tiny little hiding places. Cactus are full of moisture and life inside if you can get past the prickly spines. Isaiah, the prophet, tells the people that God is the life bringer 
even in the most apparently dead places. Our God is, as we know from our privileged point of view some thousands of years later, a resurrected and a resurrecting God, life from death. So the Hebrew people continue to wait for this new life out of the barren lands, a resurrection of their people and their faith, and then they are sent this Messiah who is nothing like anything they had assumed the Messiah would be. Even John the Baptist, king of the weird outliers, is wondering if Jesus is actually for real. John was sitting, rotting in jail. Talk about a desert place. Simply because he lived in a land ruled by a corrupt king who locked away people who said things he didn't like. If Jesus came to take away the sin of the world... John must have wondered why he was still suffering because of Herod's sins. Jesus didn't quite even fit into the theology John had in mind for the Messiah, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you sure you're it? The voice crying out in the wilderness even wavered. And Jesus said to John, You have to figure that one out for yourself. Here's what I'm doing. Take a long, hard look at it and decide for yourself. I imagine that were I in John's position, I'd have said something along the lines of, Seriously, Jesus? What good is that? That is not the answer I was looking for. I think that most of us have had the same question as John did, especially in the deserts of life. Jesus, are you sure you're really it? It's a question generally associated with not enough faith or with being a bad Christian, so rarely does any churchgoer want to ask it out loud. But friends, even the voice calling out in the desert to prepare the way for the Lord asked that same question. Jesus, are you really it Or was I wrong about you? And no wonder. Here Jesus is healing all sorts of people all over the place, and John is still rotting in prison. For all John knew, he was never going to get out, which, for the record, he never did. It's easy to believe in God, to have happiness in our heart when we're lying down in green pastures. But when we're parched and starving in the desert, things are a little different. Jesus basically told John to just wait and see. And again in James, we hear a message of patience and long-suffering. After spending a great deal of time condemning rich people for acting heartless toward the poor, Scrooge would have done well to read the book of James. James then reminds those on the other side of the spectrum that while we are called to a life seeking justice, sometimes that's going to take a while. And we have to be patient with God's plans and stay strong in our faith, regardless of what's hitting the fan around us. If we are impatient and grumbly with God about unchanging situations, we've just taken on another face of Scrooge. We are not called to idly sit by and bear injustice, abuse, or oppression, but we are called to take the long view 
and to see past, present, and future, as Scrooge was forced to do. That is patience. Like the poor begging for change outside of Scrooge's home, those who are patient and strong in heart and whose faith endures through desert times will be blessed. They will be joyful. The words in Hebrew for blessed and happy and joyful are the same. Sometimes it is easier to rush to the veneer of happiness we see with Christmas than to wade patiently through Advent in order to find true joy. So what then does it take to be strong in faith and strong in heart? When I first started running in 2009, I was in really terrible shape. As part of getting in shape and learning my limits, I was careful about monitoring my heart rate when I was running. And at first, I would run for about 30 seconds or so, and my heart rate would skyrocket to near-dangerous levels, and I'd have to stop and walk. After seven-plus years of running and working out consistently, my resting heart rate is low enough to make most doctors do a double-take and make sure I'm awake, and I can run at a fair pace for miles without breathing hard. If it takes that many years and that much work and that kind of diligence to make our physical hearts strong, how on earth can we imagine that we can have strong spiritual hearts without working out consistently and patiently with the long view goal in mind? Just for the record, I can't just run once a week for an hour and expect to have a heart that can handle a marathon. In fact, there are two main types of non-injury medical emergencies in distance running. People with previously undiagnosed heart conditions that would have caused issues anyway, and those who haven't trained right and whose hearts, therefore, can't handle the pressure of the race. Endurance is not just legs, my friends. It's not just mental gumption. Bless you. I run at least three days a week, if not five, and I go to the gym, and I do yoga. And I'd like to say I also eat well, but many of you have seen me at potlucks and will call me out on that giant fib. But the working out stuff is all true. Our spiritual lives are the same. We cannot just work out every once in a while and expect to have a strong heart. We have to maintain faithful relationships with God through constant worship and study and exploration. And we have to avoid being grumbly or nasty with each other. Scrooge's grumpiness with others built up huge barriers between him and the people around him, and it made him a weak and unhealthy man. He had a lot of nice stuff, but he was still in terrible shape. When the people began to question John and Jesus... Jesus asks them, what did you expect to find here? Riches? A king in a nice suit? That's not what this is all about. It's not about the short-term happiness of the world's riches. It's about looking forward to the next age. It is about preparing for the long haul. It is about keeping God's long-term plans in view. A question that plagues many faithful people is why are we stuck in this in-between time if Jesus has already come? If Jesus came to save and to redeem, why are sin and death 
still sticking around. Much like John's question, Jesus, if you came to take away the sin of the world, why am I still in prison because of Herod's sins? We wonder why we are still held captive to sin in this day and this age. Why are we still wandering around in the desert? A colleague of mine answered this so eloquently in his statement of faith recently. In Christ, we see that the final goal of creation is the new heaven and new earth. The powers of sin and death will no longer be able to refuse their defeat in the resurrection. It's not that they haven't been defeated. Sin and death have been defeated. They're just still refusing to admit it. In Advent, we say to sin and we say to death, we say to the deserts of life, here comes the one who defeated you. In Advent, we look forward to that day when those powers can no longer turn their backs and pretend they haven't been conquered. If we forget the past, we run the risk of forgetting the joy that comes from being around other people who love us. We risk forgetting where God has brought us from. Scrooge realized when the spirit of the past visited him, he'd forgotten the love of others in his life and he had lost touch with his roots. If we focus only on the present, we run the risk of finding ourselves alone and of missing out on opportunities to be with those who may not be around tomorrow. Not only that, we miss out opportunities to help others in need. When Scrooge realized the joy that his clerk Bob Cratchit had found in his family, in spite of the illness of his little son, Tiny Tim, he realized he'd been missing out on an opportunity to help them, to live with them in community and friendship, and potentially to save Tiny Tim's life. Scrooge was getting in the way of his own joy, and in the process of that, he was getting in the way of other people as well. We need Advent before we can really experience the joy of Christmas. This reflection on the past, present, and future in the context of God's big story is exactly the context we need to move through the deserts to the joy. Ebenezer Scrooge needed Advent, not Christmas. Only after the ghosts of past, present, and future brought him Advent could he experience Christmas. Amen.